Service Media and PCM-TV programming is supported by Revolutionary Clinics in Massachusetts, the number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first. And by Salient Systems for Video Surveillance. You've got regulations, Salient has solutions for your security needs. And by Accounting Buds, your number one accounting solution for the cannabis industry. And by TCP's Style Lighting Grow Kit, all you need to grow. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Green Rush Live, the final half hour of our regularly scheduled live business of cannabis talk show that we live stream every Friday afternoon here on Pro Cannabis Media and all over our social media network platforms. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and I'm the host of this show today. Anyway, as you probably have noticed, we're going to be rotating a lot of hosts over the next few months on this show. So more and more people can give their input and insight on what's going on in their neck of the woods from coast to coast in cannabis. Joining me now is Marie St. Fleur. She is from Boston, Massachusetts, which is where Pro Cannabis Media is located. Marie, thank you so much for joining us here live today. Great to be with you, Jim. Hey, you know, uh, congratulations, first of all. You're now the new CEO of the NACB, the National Association of Cannabis Businesses. How did that all come about for you? Well, you know, it's a surprise for me as well that I'd be the CEO of the National Association of Cannabis Business. Um, You know, about a few, 2017, um, I started to get involved in the business. I was not initially um, and got to learn more and more about some of the challenges, get an understanding about how this particular product um, had been marginalized and the impact of that marginalization on communities, particularly communities of color, and um, started to be involved. And about uh, November, a friend, a mutual friend reached out and asked if I would consider looking at the national, leading the National um, Association of Cannabis Businesses as they go through a transition. And um, I went back in and I took a deep look at what they do. And it, for me, it fell in my, 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 my sweet space because they believed in standards. Um, they believed in driving excellence um, in, in, in this field and really getting people to understand the value of, of the product, but also the impact that the modulization has had on communities across this country. Um, they believed in working collaboratively with different sectors um, to make certain that we can help people understand the value proposition that this um, that this product brings, and um, and so I said, uh, and we really it was an opportunity to elevate the issue. Everybody talks about equity, social equity, but it was really an opportunity to elevate that conversation as well. So I said, I'd give it a try, and so here I am, um, and I've had the wonderful, wonderful um, opportunity to meet with a great team. I mean, we've got Daneka Scott, who leads our marketing, Ashley Manning, who is just a terrific, she's our operating officer, and, um, you know, been able to work with them and a team of consultants who work on our standards, who work as part of our advisory board. Um, a lot of wonderful people from this industry who are experts um, in their own right in this industry in order to support um, and to support, to support their work. So... That's how I got involved. You know, it's always, you know, in Boston, somebody gives a call, you have a conversation and it worked out. And so here we are. So here we are. And, and we like to think, as you know, that we are the hub of the universe too, Marie. Are yeah. we not? I mean, come We're on. Not? Right? Okay. 
it certainly <laughs> goes it certainly goes that way in the sports yeah. world you know that's my passion too yeah but i'm also a passion for um sharing injustice and and giving yeah. an opportunity for those who have been most impacted by the failed right. war on drugs an opportunity to tell their stories uh, in right. a comfortable professional environment if you mm -hmm. will and uh, this past week i happened to be at an event in boston in post office square mm -hmm. uh, gary payton the nba hall of famer was in town to mm -hmm. give our pal marcus smart from the boston celtics his defensive player of the year award mm -hmm. and gary is one of the many athletes who have decided to dedicate their business lives uh, to mm -hmm. the cannabis space mm -hmm. and i was really uh, fascinated by the um the, the room, who was in the room and the passion that was in the room, the energy of that room. And I can really see how the word opportunity is being identified by a lot of these groups because they see what can happen. They, they want the athletes now to kind of lead the way mm -hmm. for access towards capital and for mm -hmm. an opportunity to really change what has been a really ugly part of American history over the mm -hmm. past 100 years, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, where are we and what is the NACB's role as you reorganize in creating opportunities to get access to capital for some of these social equity applicants? So one of the, you know, one of the key things that we did not do when we launched was really think about what well, we say we, 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 we actually built the legalization of this product on the idea that we are going to really support folks who are most impacted, right? People who had been traumatized, um, incarcerated, and locked out of opportunity. But at the end of the day, when we had, even across the country, even in Massachusetts, when we established these laws, we did not put in place the structures that would support their embed, embedding them and growing them. And so what NACB is really about is making certain we keep our feet to the fire by looking at how we do this business. And that's why the standards that we have on our website, if you ever get a chance to go on to it, NACB.com, go onto our website and take a look at the number of standards that we have. One of them, um, and most importantly, is, is the social equity standard. And in our social equity standard, what we're looking for people to understand is that we have to be intentional about how we plan our business and how we outreach and involve people who have been marginalized, right? And, um, and by whether it is a criminal um, record, um, whether it is they not have access to the capital, whether or not we kept them out of the educational system as a result of their incarceration, how do we make certain that when we build out our businesses, we're thinking about concrete ways in order to support their growth and development? That's what we do. That's what our social equity capital is, um, equity. Um, uh, we have a, I call it a protocol. That's what our social equity protocol is about. Is helping you to think about when you open that dispensary, how were you at looking at investors? Who were your investors? Did you think about sweat equity? Perhaps because not everybody have access to cash. You think about sweat equity in terms of bringing people in to be part of the conversation. How did you, when you talk about your job postings, what did you think about? Did you put the standard language in or did you make certain that you opened it up so people who actually been previously incarcerated understood that they had an opportunity um, to show up and be part of it. Um, when you were doing your training, did you think about how the diversity uh, of, of the staffing, the diversity of the consultants, the diversity of the information that you were providing? We want people to really get granular and interrogate their processes and really figure out how they bring these communities in 
um, as, as they build out the businesses. With respect to um, access to capital, the reality is we need the states to step up. We need the states to create these pool of money that would allow people to be able to go in, whether it is a grant, whether it is a low interest loan, to be able to go in so they can start their business with them because they cannot walk to, into their banks, right? And get an opportunity. Most banks right now are running away because the federal government has actually failed to do its job, which is we have a legitimate business and they need to be able to provide the same access to this legitimate business as they do to everybody else, but they haven't been able to do that. I wanna do a shout out to the credit unions, many of them who've stepped up in this breach in order to be able to provide that support. So our goal is to really educate people around what they can or they cannot do, and to call out those who have not done what they're supposed to do to make certain that we can provide access to capital. And we wanna to talk to the venture capitalists that are out there who are very much involved in this business and to say to them, they need to look at their practices to make certain that they're not utilizing the, 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 this community in order to achieve their end games and not really make certain that they're part of the process and can actually um, celebrate and be and, and, and enjoy the fruits of, of, uh, of, of, of this um, industry. And there are people out there that are doing it. And I, and I think the sports folks who are involved, I actually have a friend who um, was a former NFL player who actually has made this, who, who, who is really much involved, kid who grew up in Malden and went to BC and sees the, and understands personally how this, this product helps him personally but the opportunity that it can create for young folks of color. Um, and he's willing to put his, his, his time, his name and his money behind it to support a young individual in their growth and development. We need more people to do that until the banks step up, until governments step up, we need more people to do that. Do you want to share his name? Well, I don't think Gaza would mind. I okay, all right, that's yeah. fine. I could go back and find that out myself. That's yeah, okay. I, I, but I, I, I did know, I, you did say one thing well. that, you did say one thing that piqued my interest because I know your background. You spent 11 years in the Massachusetts state legislature mm -hmm. as, a, as a representative. Mm -hmm. You know how challenging it is mm -hmm. to be an elected official and actually try to get things done amongst your peers. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to throw that out. I recognize how challenging that is. Okay, that being said, you immediately said that our federal government has failed. And one of the things that I and I talk about all the time is not only has it failed, but our system now is being exposed for inconsistencies in mm -hmm. cannabis laws. Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court judge, called out the fact that, you know, hey, there's 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 a big difference between what's going on on the federal level and the state level. We, we've got to do something about this. I give him a lot of credit for for making that statement back. I think it was last summer when yes, he did that. Is. But here we are. And we're back looking at the U.S. Senate, and they don't look anything like our nation anymore. No, this they don't. Really bother. This bothers no, me as a citizen. How are they? How are we ever going to really break up the gridlock that is apparent in Washington D.C. with the failure of this two-party system right now? Because it isn't working, is it? No, it's not working, and I, unfortunately, both both parties are culpable. Mm -hmm. um, and because we stood back and allowed our country to be gerrymandered um, mm -hmm. so that uh, so regular citizens um, do not see their mutual interest. Um, and so we've, we've, we've really resegregated um, many of our districts 
um, based upon ideology. Um, whereas, and, and that is the direct um, result of our, you know, our, our redistricting um, processes. And mm -hmm. I think it's really gonna come. I mean, Joe Citizen has to understand the government is ours and that we send representatives there to do our bidding and they are our voice and we are a representative democracy. I think the people, the only way this is going to change is the people begin to push back about the way that their democracy is being hijacked. And so, and we've been doing that. And I think you saw this past summer and even throughout COVID, our people have stepped out, whether it was on the Black Lives Matter issue, whether it was one of the financial um, crisis issues, people have been stepping out to say no more, this is our democracy. And I want people to continue to do that. Um, and we need to continue to provide um, information. We need to continue to call, email, show up, and let people know that this is our democracy and we expect them to function differently. And then we need to vote. We need to vote. We need to vote. And so in those places where they've tried to compromise our voices by redistricting us so that we cannot see, talk, learn, or hear each other, then we need to be able to vote in huge numbers in order to overcome the paralysis um, that exists in Washington right now. It really is in our hands. I don't expect it to come from those sitting in office at the moment. It's in the hands of the people. Right. Well, we'd like to get term limits in place too. That would be helpful to kind of turn over the Senate. So it yeah. has a so chance. So you and I have a little disagreement on this term limit thing. That's I yeah, think tell, that's what Jimmy, I think right. term limits comes up every two years and every four years. I believe that. But we as Joe citizen have to get up off our duff and show up. And if we don't want them there, get them, get them out. Um, right. And so that to me is because we do need some longe longevity, because in some of the places where we've had term limits, take a look at Michigan, take a look at a couple of places where we've had term limits, that brutal turnover as actually having an, a negative impact. And so, well, so that's that's the only thing um, I'm gonna say. There, there do need, there has to be some some gradual transition. So I am not, I, I believe there is term limits and it's every two years and every four years. And we need to, you know, we need to step up and all the community activists and everybody else, we need to keep pushing that agenda to make certain people show up. Hey, call me crazy, but every state has two Senate positions, right? Yes. Why don't we just make term limits at least on one of those two seats? I'm just throwing that out there gotcha. as an idea, okay? Yeah. Because yeah. that means that's a gradual thing. That means that's we're not going to, right? Okay. Just throwing it we out there as an idea. Good discussion. Good point. I was going to say, you can take it, do whatever you want with it. <laughs> Um, let's let's go back. Let's come back to Massachusetts just for a second, because mm -hmm. here the state legislature actually made some changes to the original set of laws and regulations yeah. um, about two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that obviously was making changes so that more and more people could have access to these licenses and not, yeah. you know, you know, kind of bankrupt themselves, just getting themselves in position to file an application and, and go through all the rigmarole that it takes to actually open your doors in this yeah. business. Are you happy with what the uh, legislature, the current legislature here in Massachusetts was able to accomplish? I think it's a good step forward. I think it's a good step forward. I think that, um, you know, a lot of, um, some of the challenges is around the fact that the each each city and town essentially were given the license to do it as as they will right mm -hmm. so 
depending upon which city or town you're going to apply for a license and the, you know, the host community agreement might look very different. The, the pro agreement process might look very different. And so for example, um, in Boston, where you're required to, uh, to have, a, a, you know, the, the proper, the, the lease, right? The mm -hmm. a lease before <clears throat> you can actually show up. Um, now for a small individual who's right. just trying to open up a small dispensary or whatever you're trying to open up to be, to go through that process. And I, for maybe it's, it's moving a little faster, but in some instances you were two years before you even got before an administrative body. And in that period, you're paying for something that you hope will happen. So if you don't have deep pockets, it knocks you out of the process to begin with because it was a critical piece of um, what you were required to do. So those types of, the fact that we didn't standardize that to some extent, I think has been um, to a detriment. The good thing that I think the state of Massachusetts did was that it required every city and town to be able to participate in this, that everybody was going to be required so that we don't concentrate it as we've done with liquor stores in particular areas. Um, and so now everybody, whether you are in Newton, um, whether you are in Roxbury, you're gonna be required to have them in your neighborhood. I thought that was a very positive thing. So I think um, the access to capital piece, um, the fact that they're, and I actually don't know where they are with that, Jimmy, where they, actually passed the, the legislation in order to allow for the creation of a pool uh, mm -hmm. of money. I don't know how much money has been um, designated for that pool or, you know, if anybody's been able to take advantage of it yet. So I, that yeah. I haven't seen. Right. And, and the other thing is uh, the tax money that has been generated yes. uh, is supposed to be going in a direction to help those uh, who, again, have been most victimized by the yeah. failed war on drugs. And we haven't seen too much I of that. Seen that. Have no, <laughs> we have not. We have not seen that. And, and, and there, you know, and to me, if you think about the number, because, you know, incarcerations, unfair incarcerations are still happening, um, whether mm -hmm. they were for cannabis. We've got tons of people whose records have not been expunged and there's not and they don't have the dollars in order to be able to do that. I don't see any dollars being appropriated for that. I don't see how we're saying to the Committee for Public Council Services, you know what, create a team of people here's some dollars, go out there and let's help correct this wrong. I don't see the, any money going out for that. I, we know that a lot of people were incarcerated and their education was stymied as a result of that. Don't see any money going out to say, okay, let's get into uh, these facilities and help create training programs with real opportunity for growth or even help them back into the industry that we're now creating You know, in order to provide them the skill sets that they need so they can come work in this industry so that they can make a living wage when they step up. There are some real low hanging fruit things that can be done today. Today, that only requires short money and we're getting resources because I don't know what were the couple billion dollar industry right now um, in, in Massachusetts? Yes, free so, I think now. Yeah. So where, where are we with really taking some of those resources and redirecting back to the communities that were most impacted? And by the way, anyway, so we, we can keep going. Um, and it's not just in Massachusetts. And then right. think about how we define, you know, racial equity or social equity. And we say, yes, everybody's talking the buzzword around equity. Well, what does that really mean? And how does it show up on, on the ground? I mean, because does it really get to the population that is really most in need and most impacted? And I'm not certain that we're doing a great job there as well. 
No, and but you know what? We got to keep talking about it and, and putting them on the carpet and letting them know that's that correct. we know what's going on. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I started this company in the first place. Um, back in the 90s, I was fortunate enough to get to know a group of uh, people. We talk about money, a bank, Wainwright yeah. Bank, that yes. coined yes. the term social responsible capitalism. It was the first that's time right. I'd ever heard that term. OK, this was the 90s. This was now 30 yeah. years ago. OK, back yeah. in the day when. I had a W-2 job and I was a sportscaster. I had my own show. You know, those were, yep. those were good old days when I was much younger. Um, I am starting to see some elements of socially responsible capitalism making their way slowly into the industry. Now, yeah. obviously, at a lower level, at a, uh, a state level, I think you have more of an opportunity to do that. When you start yeah. expanding and you get into these multi-state operators, they're yeah. all of a sudden being pointed at as the villains in this industry. It, in my opinion, and I can't wait to hear yours, mm -hmm. I think it's a, an important role that they play because they they got the industry going. They're able to put money into it. And now I'm starting to hear some inklings that they might be starting um, for some social equity opportunities and creating funds for that as well. What is your opinion and wh where do you stand on these multi-state operators? Because in a lot of ways, this industry has needed these people to get it going. But now that it's going, are they doing enough to share? So I think every time you, you, you know, money, you, it creates its own challenges, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, multi, there, there are good things about multi-state operators um, in terms of getting the, the business, um, the, the, the industry going. Mm -hmm. But what I'm concerned about is that they're building it off the same playbook that the old businesses um, were, were built. Mm -hmm. And those old businesses did not take into consideration equity, social equity. They did not take it into consideration. You know, profit was the bottom line. And so that is a that is a concern for me because that is not what we led with with the legalization of this um, of of, of, the, of this industry. So I think that I want to see them regulated appropriately. I want to be able to understand that. Um, so it's not because of out of the goodness of their heart, but because there are set standards of operation that we all agree that they should be adhering to, and that there's transparency in how they manage in terms of who their investors are. There's transparency in how the they they build a relationship um, with their sub, subsidiaries. Um, there's transparency in how they engage um, folks of color, communities of color. And so that the relationship that they have with them is fair um, and it is not exploitative. I mean, I think those are the things. So while it's good that they got it going, that we need to take a look at the underbelly of that and make certain that it is as transparent and as accountable as possible. And we need to support them um, when they're doing the great things. And we also need to be able to be there um, to point out when the challenging things are happening. So yes, it's important, but I also, am concerned that we lose some of the uniqueness of this industry. Now, I'm not a consumer, but I understand that there is there, there, there was a soul, there is a soul to this industry as well prior to. And so creating um, sort of a pharmacy or a sort of environment, clinical environment where you have um, every a box chain type of um, 
experience. I, I think that's a concern to me because then a lot of the human part of this gets lost even um, on the ground. So the experience for the consumer changes. And so, and, and I'm hoping that some of that doesn't get lost. The human part of this, um, the connectivity part of this, the uniqueness part of this doesn't get lost as we become more standardized and just become, you know, I don't want to use so, another pharmacy, uh, another pharmacy chain, so to speak. So we all look the same and behave the same. Yeah, that'd be a nice thought. Um, I do know this, uh, you guys at the NACB are, are actually um, doing a webinar, which is a talk show online, basically, is kind yeah. of what we do here on a regular basis. On April 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, it's called The Spirit of Legacy, Acknowledging the Resilience of Our Past and Embracing Our Future. And your keynote is a, uh, I would call Andrew D'Angelo's a friend of the pro cannabis media family since he's been yes. on with us a few times. Uh, he's your keynote. You have others that are going to be taking part in this. What's the purpose yeah. of this webinar? And by the way, it is free, isn't it, Marie? Yes, it is. It's free and we want everybody to come. We want everybody to come. So if you can go on our website, you can click the link and please register. And so it is really around celebrating legacy because we are all, if I am enjoying the fruits of this industry today, it is because a number of people took the risk and were willing to stand up and fight even before I believed. They were willing to stand up and fight for the legalization of this industry. And we use the pain, the intellect, the skill, and the labor of that group, um, their activism, in order today for us to be talking about a $30 billion industry in the United States today. So we need to go back and really continue to stay rooted and how we got here and understand that we were trying to build an industry, a system where you can actually make money that was equitable. And what I mean by equitable is that we recognize that not all people start at the same start line and that some people need some support in order to get to that start line so that they can be able to move forward. And in order to do that, we need to be able to provide the skills, the support um, that is in the capital that is necessary for them to be able to do that. So that is what the spirit of legacy is about, is to really hearken back to where, how this got started so that we don't forget and to understand that there are millions of Americans today who are still suffering from the scourge of this war on drugs that has impacted them individually. It has impacted their families and their children and it has impacted their communities. And we must remember that. So when we talk about the $30 billion business in the United States, we need to think about how that reinvestment happened so that we can rebuild the communities that were destroyed by that war. We can rebuild and support the families and the children, and we can actually support the businesses. So that is what that is about. And people are going to tell their stories. Um, Andrew's going to tell his story that talks about his transition to legalization. And we have um, Christine, who will also be able to tell her story. Um, I think that um, we're going to get Ke um, Kelly Perez, Cannabis Doing Good, um, is going to be um, there with us as well. Um, Ernest Tony. So we have a number of, of panelists. Um, they're going to be panels for us who are going to be able to tell their story, what they're doing today to enhance the quality of this industry and some real concrete steps for us to be able to take because I'm a firm believer that it's our agency that will lead to the change that we want to see. And so that means that each of us have an obligation to do 
something. And so at the end of that conversation, you will be given some concrete things that you can do. And I'm gonna ask you to point inward because I always say, start with me, what can I do before you start pointing out? So I can actually talk about the federal government all I want. I can actually talk about the Massachusetts government all I want. But at the end of the day, I have to say, Marie, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because in the space that I stand, I can do something today. And that might mean that I share the cash um, standards. We have the standards on cash um, standards, um, cash management standards. I, I share it with you so that you can understand what your hiring protocol used to need to be, how you're supposed to manage your people, how you're supposed to protect, care, transfer that cash until we get the, the day that we have access to the kind of banking that we deserve. We need to be able to manage that cash, say, secure it appropriately. So I can tell you that is what it is, and I can help you if I have that skill set to support you in being able to do that. Those are the minimal things um, that we can do. If I have the skill set and, and, and social equity and want you to be able to help you set up what your program is going to look like, whether it is your delivery program or whether it is you're going to be your dispensary program, maybe then I can share that information with you so we can begin to embed some of those social equity standards within um, your documents and then help you in your practice to be able to implement them. Those are the things that we're trying to do. Well, I'll tell you what, I think the NACB is in good hands with your leadership now, Marie St. Fleur. Uh, I'm passionate about the cause. Um, I want to make sure that uh, we continue our relationship with the NACB, Absolutely. and hopefully we can take this all to a new level and create a new world, not just a new normal, but a new world. There's an opportunity here for everyone to take advantage of this plant in whatever capacity, That's whether right. it's through research, science, you know, I noticed you're you're big with kids and education. Yes. Um, obviously, this is this is the future. These are our future. That is our future. Is that next generation? And the fact that we're talking about this so openly now, and that cannabis is a political issue, that it is a legal issue, that it's a science issue, that it's a human rights issue. Um, right. it, it's fascinating to me, just because. I've been around enough to know that I never thought in a million years we'd be doing this in the open yeah. like this. So um, Marie St. Fleur, thank you so much for joining us here. I think it was a great way to continue uh, to get the word out. That's what I started this company to do. Uh, we continue to do that. We look forward to working with the NACB in the future. Jimmy, thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting us to be here. So I'm expecting to see you on the 28th, 6 p.m. Go to our website, please, and click and, uh, and register. And, um, and we wanna hear from you. We have an opportunity with this product, with this industry to believe that yes, you can do good and you can actually make money as well. And we can create the systems to, to really make it accessible for everybody to be able to do well. We have an obligation, we have an opportunity to do that. And Jimmy, I'm so glad to be able to connect with you today. And I thank you for this time. Absolutely. That'll wrap up a Green Rush Live for a Friday afternoon. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media for everybody in the PCM family. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Cannabis Media and PCM TV programming is supported by Revolutionary Clinics in Massachusetts, the number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first. 
and by Salient Systems for Video Surveillance. You've got regulations, Salient has solutions for your security needs. And by Accounting Buds, your number one accounting solution for the cannabis industry. And by TCP's Style Lighting Grow Kit, all you need to grow.